Um, probably, I don't know how many of us have been able to go to Ecuador now. It's been, I would imagine, about maybe 50 or 60, perhaps, of us. A couple, um, a couple years back, I remember one particular drive through uh, the jungles. We were <clears throat> pretty deep in, uh, we were pretty deep in the Amazon, and uh, just trees everywhere. And as we were out there. We drove by uh, this one one little house in the in the middle of the jungle. It was uh, a shanty. If you've ever seen one, it was tiny. It was probably about twenty feet by twenty feet square, um, made out of wood, wood panels, and you know it was all like uh, just kind of jacked up looking. And you could see through the panels and stuff. And I remember looking into that, uh, driving by and and seeing that house in the middle of the jungle. Right, nothing else but trees. And I asked uh, one of the Ecuadorians who was with us, I said, ¿Dónde está el baño? Right? Where's the bathroom in that house? And he said, I forget what he, but he basically pointed to like everywhere and said, that's the bathroom. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. And I, you know, it, it wouldn't have shocked me so much, but here's a reason why it was so shocking to me. Because as I looked at that little, <clears throat> little house without a bathroom, on top of that house, in the middle of the jungle, was a DirecTV satellite. So they could watch NFL Sunday Ticket in the jungles of Ecuador and still have no place to go to the bathroom outside of God's big hole toilet in the, in the jungles of, of the Amazon. I found it interesting that the people in Ecuador would rather be entertained than they would be hygienic. It's not just in Ecuador, though, is it? Isn't that true here in America as well? How much we value entertainment and being entertained. It seeps its way through even into the life of a church where we consider, what do you, what do you consider a good Sunday? I don't know what you consider to be a good Sunday, but for a lot of us, we consider a good Sunday to be something, everything that a good TV show or everything that a good movie is. Basically, uh, my emotions were moved at the end. I laughed or I cried. That's what makes a good worship service to me. Because we too have been driven into a culture that prizes entertainment. In the same way, I talked about last week that, cult, that our, one of our culture's main idols is the idol of comfort. I could just as easily make a case for how entertainment is one of the prized values of our culture as well. There's nothing so wrong about being comfortable or nothing so wrong with being entertained. But when that becomes not just something that we embrace or like, but it becomes something that we feel entitled to, that's when comfort and entertainment becomes dangerous to our lives. It's when comfort and entertainment becomes dangerous to our spiritual lives also, when we think that our spirituality deserves and is entitled to be accompanied by entertainment. A lot of churches have bought into this. That's why a lot of churches that you see today, you read about this new church starting and they bought or rented out a movie theater because the church architecture and design reflects the culture. And so just as our culture wants to be entertained, within churches, people want to be entertained. In many churches, the seating of the church is designed to look like a movie theater or a stadium in which people are entertained. And so we watch the musicians on stage. We listen and wait for someone to entertain. And that becomes our expression of spirituality. Again, not a bad thing to be comforted. 
not a bad thing to be entertained, but if that becomes what we feel entitled to when it comes to our relationship with God, then we're going to miss out on a whole lot of what God wants to do in our lives. This is how it plays out. A lot of times we think that if my Christian life or if the thing that I'm doing is not exciting or epic or legendary or fires falling, then I can't experience God in the same way as if those things were happening. And so what do we do? We long for that next mission trip. We long for that next retreat. We long for that next conference. Or maybe if we're a little bit more spiritual, we long for that next Sunday where I can meet with God. Uh, These are great places and necessary places for us to meet with God. But here's our reality, that the great majority of our time that God wants to meet with us is not in those places. It's not on the mountaintop. It's not where fire is falling down but it's in the normal, the mundane, the routine, the ordinary, dare I say, even the boring times of our lives because this is where most of us live. For the next nine weeks, I want to talk about this idea of the ordinary Christian life, how God wants to experience you to experience him in the ordinary Christian life life. Today, I want to begin with a very simple idea, very simple idea that says, God wants to meet you on an ordinary day. I want to look at that through the life of a prophet of the Old Testament named Elijah. So before, before we get into the text in 1 Kings 19, I want to set a little bit of the, of the table here. Elijah was a person just like you and me who had these epic encounters with God the kind of encounters with God that everybody wishes they could have. There was one time a boy who was dead, the son of a widow who had fed him. A boy had died, Elijah prayed for him, and this boy came back to life, raised from the dead. And he was praising God. If there was ever a moment where he saw God, he encountered God, he saw God at work, it would be in the raising of a dead boy. There's another time where it had not been raining for three and a half years. Elijah prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He sent his servant out to, the, to, to, to look out and he saw a tiny storm cloud. And after three and a half years of drought and famine, the rains began to fall. There's three and a half years of nothingness. He prays and the rain falls. There was another time most recently in 1 Kings chapter 18 where all of these prophets of Baal and Asherah, uh, false gods, 850 of them were gathered on a mountain and Elijah was gathered along with them and they said, let's have a battle to see who the true God is. We, 850 prophets of the false gods, will call on our God and see a fire falls down on the mountain. And then after that, Elijah, you pray to your God and see a fire falls down on a mountain. And the God who answers by fire, that is the God that we will worship. And so the 850 prophets of Baal begin to pray, and nothing happens. They begin beating themselves, and Elijah starts talking trash. 
Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation. And these guys are beating their bodies up. And they say, we give up. And so Elijah says, okay, here I am. I'm just going to pray. And, and, and before I do that, in fact, why don't you dump water, pour lots of water onto the altar. And then we're going to see that God is going to come. And it's not just hocus pocus, but he's going to answer by fire. And so Elijah prays this simple prayer, fire fall down on us, we pray. And bam, the fire of God falls down on the mountain of Carmel. Three powerful encounters in a row that Elijah has where he sees God clearly. It's a retreat. It's a conference. It's a mission trip, whatever it is. And he's seen God. And we come to this point in his life where after he's done that, he's so excited. He's so fired up. But then the wife of the king, an evil king, Ahab, the wife named Jezebel, sends him a note saying, you know what? I don't like you, Elijah. I'm going to kill you. And so after, after having encountered God in this way, the one word of the queen causes him to go into a deep spiritual depression. And so Elijah's in a bad place. He's not excited for God. He's not fired up anymore. In fact, he has a death wish. He says, I'm so discouraged and depressed that I want to die. And it's in this place that God would again encounter Elijah, not with the bells and whistles and fire of before, but in a completely different way and probably in a way that was more significant than all of the other experiences that he's ever faced. First Kings 19, we're going to read uh, verses 9 uh, through 18. And we're going to see how God encounters Elijah and how God wants to encounter us as well. This is God's word, 1 Kings 19, verse 9. True story really happened in history. Because there, Elijah went into a cave and spent the night. He's depressed, he's fearful, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hezael 
and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, <clears throat> all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. This is God's word. So Elijah has encountered God in these powerful mountaintop, fire-filled moments. And once again, he's about to encounter God. And he has in his mind the ways that God is supposed to meet with him. And yet, the way God encounters Elijah here, and the way that I propose to you God wants to meet you and me, is a whole lot different from the way that Elijah and the way that some of us think God wants to meet with us. Okay, what do we see? The first thing, actually all of these things are very simple. The first thing is that God wants to meet you on ordinary days. Remember, Elijah had encountered God, experienced God, met with God in these crazy moments. Powerful, fiery, social media worthy events. And yet he's not in that place right now. In fact, he's in the very opposite place. He's not hungering for God. He's not thirsting for God. He's not seeking God. He's not longing for God. It is a very ordinary day for Elijah. And yet it is in this very place that God desires to meet with him. Can I tell you that the same is true for God and for you and me? Yeah, certainly God shows up in these crazy moments where we're outside of our home, outside of our church, in a completely different context where the surroundings are new. He's taken you, picked you up, lifted you up, sent you to another place where you're free of distractions, where you can actually hear from God in places like China or in Ecuador or in the Dominican Republic or at a retreat center far, far away from home. But can I tell you that is in the very ordinary moments and the ordinary days of life that God may most want to meet with us. Why? Because that's where most of our days are lived. Most of our days are lived on normal, ordinary days. Not every day of our lives is a celebration. Not every day of our lives is these grand and exciting moments. And April 24th, our daughter Elise celebrated her second birthday. And we had to keep telling her from a week before, Elise, your birthday is coming up. Okay? Next week is your birthday. Your birthday's next week. We're going to have a party. You're going to eat cake. And she would get very excited. We're going to give you a present. This is your present. Six days, five days, four days, three days, two days. Tomorrow is your birthday, Elise. She would say, tomorrow is my birthday. And on her birthday... We had a small party for her, and she ate cake, and she was very, very happy. The next day, Elise woke up, and she came to Olivia and me, and she said, Is today my birthday? I said, No, yesterday was your birthday. Hey, today is not your birthday. She would come to us the next day. She would say, Is today my birthday? Say, no, today's not your birthday. You only get one birthday out of the year. Every other day is a normal ordinary day. Alice in Wonderland would say it like this. You have one birthday every year and then you have 364 unbirthdays. You remember this, right? 364 unbirthdays. That is why we're gathered here today. A very merry unbirthday to
to you and you and you and you and you. If today's not your birthday, can I tell you? Today is your unbirthday. So a very merry unbirthday to you. Here's your reality. Every other day, besides one out of the year, is an unbirthday. A very normal day. I don't know if you, you get this on Facebook, but just the nature of the beast. Facebook will pop off a message saying, today is your friend's birthday. And so on that one day, people that you don't even remember... People that you don't even know how they became your friend. People who haven't talked to you since your last birthday are going to write on your Facebook wall, happy birthday, I hope you're doing well. Or even worse, just simply, happy birthday. Or even worse than that, HBD, right? And you're like, okay, this is cool. Thank you for remembering my birthday. But it would be kind of nice if you didn't ignore me on the 364 unbirthdays of my life as well. It's just the nature of the beast, though. That's, it's bound to happen that way. Because the reality is that every other day of your life, besides your birthday, is an unbirthday. It is a very ordinary, normal day. And the reason why. God wants to meet you on a normal day, on an ordinary day. It's because he wants to meet you every day of your life. And only a few days out of the year are these epic and powerful and mountaintop moments. It's in the normal every day of your day, of your routine, of your life, of your week that God wants to meet you. And if you're only looking for God, can I tell you this? If you're only looking for God at retreats and at mission trips and on weekends, you're missing out on a whole lot of what, what God wants to do in your life. The great majority of the time, God showed up in people's lives in the Bible on very ordinary, normal days. Zechariah the priest, just going about his priestly duties when the angel came to him and said, you're going to have a son. The shepherds in the field doing their ordinary shepherd duties when God met with them, encountered them on that very ordinary day, heavens open, the angels sing their song. We're like, dude, this is just an ordinary, normal day with a bunch of ordinary, normal people. And God is saying, that is where I want to meet you. In the ordinariness of your tennis match, in the ordinariness of your drive to work, in the ordinariness of your watering your garden, in the ordinariness of you doing your job, that's where God wants to meet with you on very ordinary, normal, plain days. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But that's where life is. Yeah, that's where life is. Very routine, mundane. Psalm 118.24, the psalmist understood this as well as the shepherds in the field. He said, today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He didn't wake up and say, today's my birthday. I'm going to party like it's my birthday. I'm going to celebrate like it's my... He, he didn't say that. He said, today's the day that the Lord has made it because God made it. Because today is a gift. I'm going to see God in it. I'm going to meet God in it. I'm going to encounter God in it because that's where God wants to meet with his people. God wants to meet you on ordinary days. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see, okay, this is so simple. God wants to meet you in ordinary ways. 
ordinary days in ordinary ways. So God has a desire to encounter Elijah in this place. And so he says to him, he says, verse 9, Elijah went into a cave. It says right before that, the cave is on the mountain called Mount Horeb. It's also called Mount Sinai, which Moses knew this is the place. I'm sorry, Elijah knew this is the place God met Moses and gave him his Ten Commandments. He knows Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai is synonymous with the place where God meets with his people. And so Elijah goes to that place having that same expectation on the mountain God is going to meet with his people. And so the word of the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I've been very zealous for all these things. And then verse 11, the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah has had all of these great and exciting moments He's been on the mountaintop. He's encountered God in fire. He's excited. And so when he's depressed, he's thinking in his mind, I need to have another mountaintop experience. I need to go back to the mountain and experience God in that way. Maybe some of us are waiting for that. Maybe some of you are waiting for, oh, I thought we were having a retreat on Labor Day weekend and we're waiting for that time. Or you're waiting for, oh, I, 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 I just wish that our youth retreat was coming up sooner. Or I wish that we could have more of these whatever, 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 whatever. That's what Elijah's thinking. When God says, I'm going to meet you on the mountain in the place where I meet with my people, I want you to get into that place because I'm about to encounter you. And so Elijah's coming. He's depressed. He's spiritually low. He needs to be recharged. And so he gets to that place with his expectation of how God's going to meet with him. Says, go out and stand on the mountain, and Elijah does, and it says at the end of verse eleven, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Throughout the Bible, right, in Exodus, God used the wind to encounter his people. Okay? God used the wind to bring locusts onto the people of Egypt a sign that God was with his people, that he was going to deliver them. God used, the Bible says clearly in Exodus, a wind to blow the Red Sea, to separate it in order that the people of God might walk through. Whenever the wind would show up, in fact, the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is characterized by the wind. And so the people of God, when they think of the wind, they think this is how God is going to meet with his people. And so Elijah has his expectation. He's on the mountain, the place where God meets with his people. And this extraordinary wind comes so powerful that it breaks the rocks apart. And Elijah is so excited. It says the Lord was not in the wind. And then it says after that, after the wind, there was an earthquake. And we talked about this in Psalm 29, that when something of greater glory encounters something of lesser glory, that which is of greater glory begins to shake and tremble the things of lesser glory. And so an earthquake, when God visits his people, oftentimes in the Bible, be picturized, pictured by an earthquake. When the God of glory encounters this world, this earth, the earth begins to shake Earthquake happened, the sons of Korah were devoured in the Old Testament. The people of God knew that when an earthquake came, this is where the presence of God would be. But it says, in the midst of the earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire. It was a fire that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
It was a fire that came from heaven on Mount Carmel to show that God was there and that he was a true God. But it says here, but the Lord was not in the fire. So all of these ways that Elijah was used to God working, that he saw this is the way God works, God was saying, don't limit me to these things. (coughs) I don't only come in the wind and the fire and the earthquake. And he's saying to you and to me, I don't only come on Sundays or during your house church or when your youth ministry gathers. I don't only come during retreats and revivals and mission trips. How then does God come? He comes in a very ordinary way. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face because he knew that he was encountering God and he went and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Sometimes God just waits for us to get quiet enough to meet with him. A lot of times we think we need to be in the midst of the crowds, in the midst of the noise, in the midst of the frenzy, in the midst of all of the activity. But God is saying, sometimes I'm not to be found there. Because you see, all of these experiences, as great as they were for Elijah, hadn't really changed him. Because he gets to this place and he says, kill me because I don't deserve to live. This woman is seeking my life. Isn't the same thing true with us? I... I am probably one of the biggest proponents of these big events. We need to have these things. But a lot of times, if we're looking to these experiences to encounter God, a lot of times we realize that they're not as deeply life-changing as we think they are. Here was Elijah's problem, and here's the issue with a lot of modern evangelical Christianity, is we are great at expressions of public passion, but we are lacking in expressions of personal devotion. And this is why so many of us miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. We're great at being passionate in public, at giving our lives to Christ, saying, I will follow you. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And yet in that moment when we hear the whisper of God to spend time with him in the ordinariness of our Monday morning, we turn to the world and away from God. And God is waiting because his desire is to meet us in the most ordinary of ways. And what is the most, two ways that we see here, and I'm not going to go deep into this because we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks, but it's in the word of God that he meets with us. And it's through the people of God that he meets with us. Elijah said, listen, I'm the only one left and now they're after me too. God says, no, 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 no. I've got 7,000 people who have not bowed down to the false idol and have not kissed those gods. You're not alone. You just need to open your eyes and get yourself into a place where the community is, where the people of God are. This is what God is saying to us. You want to meet God? You want to meet God? Here it is. Don't wait for once a week. Don't wait for twice a year. Don't wait for those times. Here's how you meet with God. You put yourself before the word of God and you get yourself with the people of God. This is how you meet with God. I was talking with a brother earlier this week and he said to me, you know what, DL, sometimes I get so, and I, I work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I travel everywhere I go. Sometimes by the weekend, I don't want to do anything. 
I don't want to do anything. There are times I wake up Sunday and I don't want to come to church. I'm just so beat up by life. I don't want to see people. I don't want to see anybody. And I said to him, listen, you and me both. Can we be honest? There are a lot of times I wake up and I'm like, dude, I don't want to come to church. (laughs) Isn't that sad? But, But can I level the playing field a little bit? Sometimes I feel like that. I feel beat up. I feel tired. I feel like, man, I don't want to see people sometimes. Sometimes I wake up, I'm like, I don't have a message to give. I do have a message. I, I, I'm not coming up here winging. I have a message to give. But I feel like I don't have the voice to say it. I don't have the conviction in my heart. I said, listen, you and me both. But this is what he said. He said, but every time I get in there, every time I'm, I, I force myself to come, and I feel so renewed. I feel so rejuvenated. I find life with the people of God. House church, Sundays. I'm ready to live another week for the Lord. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, you and me both. I feel the same way. Honestly, there are sometimes I come in Sunday morning and I sit down and I'm, I'm, I'm praying through my stuff. And I'm like, God, I'm so scared. I'm scared of people today. I don't know why I feel like that. I'm really scared to to get up and bring this message today. I feel afraid. I feel so unusually nervous today. I don't know why I feel like that. Then I walk into this building and I get into our prayer meeting and I find life. I say, God, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do it. Sometimes God hasn't wired us. Well, no, not sometimes. God has not wired us to do life alone apart from people. And we need to get into community. We need to get in with other people. And it is a lie from the pit of hell and from this world, this Western individualism that says you do it yourself. You don't show your weakness. You can do everything by yourself. No, 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 no. The Bible says you are made for community. Even our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a community in order to show us that we who are made in the image of God are created for community. We need people. We need community, and we cannot do it apart from other people. I remember a a youth pastor uh, did this experiment, did this kind of exercise in his youth group in order to show people how the Word of God and the people of God are the ordinary ways in which God meets with us. As he had everyone uh, sit, uh, arrange their chairs in a circle, and he wrote a Bible verse And he put it on every chair in the circle. And then he put a a chair in the middle. And he had everyone sit down. And he said, I want to show you that God speaks to us all the time through his word and through his people. He said, on your chair is a Bible verse. And I want to invite anyone who wants to go one at a time to just sit in the circle in the chair in the middle. And if you've got any problems to just share what your problem is. And as you hear that, if you have a Bible verse that would speak into that situation to go ahead and read that. He thought it was a great idea, but all the students thought, this is so dumb. This is so stupid. And no one wanted to go in the middle. Nobody wanted to share their problem. When when one guy did, he said something silly like, uh, I need to get an A on my test this weekend. And no one had a Bible verse that was appropriate for that. 
And so people would just look at each other and they would like make some, uh, someone would say something in order to comfort the guy and they would be like, okay, kind of, and then awkward and they would go back to their seat. But there was this new girl who went into the middle. She had only been coming out for maybe like a, a, a week or two. Nobody really knew her, uh, who she was or what her issues were. But she went in there and uh, everyone who went in got blindfolded so that they could hear each person as if it was like God speaking to them. And she went up there and she said, I, I, wanna, I just want to die. My life stinks. My life is terrible. And it, obviously the students were shocked that somebody would actually say something like that. And so they, they came to their senses that somebody needs to say something. And so one guy uh, read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He said, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you could stand up under it. And she said, nobody cares about me. And this guy read Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. He said, my parents kicked me out. They don't want me in their home anymore. I don't know where I'm going to go. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a rip about my life. Someone read, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And she's like, I wish that I could believe these things would be true, but why doesn't God ever speak to me? And the youth pastor went in and he said, he does, he does. This is how he speaks to you. This is how he speaks to you. He's, speak, he's speaking right now through these passages of scripture. He's speaking right now through his people. And all these people came in to this girl that they didn't know. And they gave her a hug and she began to weep. And she began to weep because in that moment she knew that she was encountering the God of the universe in a powerful, in a personal way. God wants to meet with you, not just on the mountaintops, not just in foreign countries, but he wants to meet with you every day, on an ordinary day, in an ordinary way. The last thing, God wants to meet with you, will you let him? God wants to meet with you, will you let him? Elijah's been running around, he's been running around crazy, doing all of these things. Can I tell you that sometimes the reason why we have a hard time meeting with God. It's not just that we don't expect him to, not just because we're comfortable or entertained, but sometimes we're unable to meet with God because our lives are just too busy. Or at least we think they are. I'm too busy to spend time with God. I'm too busy to pray. I was uh, taking Manny, our oldest daughter, to uh, to school this week and uh, we had left maybe like a minute later than we usually than we should have left, and so I said, "Manny, we've got to hurry. We're late, and we're late, and I don't want you to be late for school. I don't want to have to sign you in, and you, it's embarrassing for you and all that." So I said, "We've got to hurry. Okay, we got to hurry." So in the car, and <clears throat> it's just like about a seven eight minute ride, and then we walk about five minutes. And so as we were in the car, Manny was telling me a story about something that happened, and I was listening. Uh, as I was driving, and then we got to the parking lot, and her story was still going on. And I, I said, hold on, Manny. And I got out of the car. I opened up her door, and she said, uh, and then I started. And then she's like continuing on with the story. I said, Manny, come out. And, and she's like, but I'm telling you a story. I said, and I, I snapped at her. I said, Manny, you can talk and come out at the same time. 
And she said, no, Daddy, I can't. I can't. I can't come out because I'm telling you a story right now. And as she said that, I felt this like remorse and sadness and conviction in my heart. And I said, Manny, I'm sorry. Daddy, Just I don't want you to be late for school, but um, I don't want you to feel like your story doesn't mean anything to me. And she was saying to me, Daddy, sometimes you're just so in a hurry. Sometimes you're so busy that we can't have this relationship on the run like this all the time. I feel like God says that to me all the time. He says, listen, son, I want to meet with you. Sometimes you can be so busy running around doing this and that and this and that. And the, the picture I got, I don't know why I got this picture. It must have been a movie somewhere. But the picture I get is um, this like lady and she's uh, walking through a train station and she gets on a train and she's situating herself and then this man comes running out of the train station right in front of where the train is, well-dressed, handsome-looking man, and he looks around and he sees this lady in the window of the train. Is this a movie? I don't know if it is. And he sees her and he starts calling out, Eleanor, Eleanor, Eleanor. And right then the train starts leaving and she hears him and she runs to the window and she puts her head out the window and she says, John, Jonathan. And he says, Eleanor, Eleanor, wait. And then the train takes off and he's running after her. (laughs) Tell me if this is a movie. I feel like it is. Maybe the names have been changed to protect the innocent. He's running after her. Eleanor, Eleanor. She's like, John, John. He's like, I love you. I love you, Eleanor. And she's like, what? What? I can't hear you. I love you. I love you. Meet me in Albuquerque. I can't hear. What? Just go on. Go on, John. Go on. Bye-bye. And she sits back down, and she makes her way to her next stop, wherever it is, never again to see the man who loved her. Too busy to hear the message that was so important for her to receive. Is that a movie? I don't know if it is. Maybe uh, if some of you are into making movies, you can make one like that. But again, I feel like yeah, that's a picture of our world and that's a picture of our people. The church, we're like so busy running around from this to that that we miss out on the most important message that we need to hear. Yeah, and just like that, just God saying, hey, just relax. Relax, because in ordinary ways, on an ordinary day, I just want to meet with you. I want to meet with you. A few, uh, a few months ago, about maybe uh, 10.30 at night, 10 o'clock at night or so, uh, no, it was about 9.30 at night, I got a, I got a text, and uh, someone was texting saying, hey, Pastor Dale, are you home right now? Is it okay if I stop by? I, I wasn't home. I was going to be home in about half an hour, but I was ready to just see my uh, kiss the kids in bed and, and, and hang with Olive. I was ready to go to sleep. Not wanna, uh, not wanting to do anything else, but they said, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to stop by just for a little bit. And um, initially, I'm thinking to myself, I don't really, I don't really want to. It's kind of been a long day. I just want to 
maybe turn on the TV, watch some sports center, hang with Olive, eat some ice cream or something. Um, and so I, I, I saw that message, but I uh, hesitated in writing back because I was trying to think, you know, I, I, I should. And before I could respond, they responded back and they said, I had um, baked some cookies for you and your family and I just wanted to drop them off. And so I said, what a fool. And so I said, I am, not them. So I wrote back. I was like, yeah. I said, said, yeah, um, I'll be home in about half an hour. If you want to drop by, you're more than welcome. And uh, all these excuses, too busy, too much going on, too many other things to do. And again, the whisper in the wind that the Lord said was, there's so many times I just want to drop by because I want to bless you with something. But you keep telling me you're too busy. You keep saying you got too much going on. I don't want anything from you. Sometimes daddy just wants to bless my child. That's it. Sometimes I just want to give you. Sometimes I just want to love you. Sometimes I just want to let you know that you're doing all right. And I said, yeah, I want, to, I want to spend time with my father like that. It's an ordinary day can encounter God because that's the desire of God from Genesis until Revelation. just want to meet with his people. He created this garden where Adam and Eve could meet with God and in the cool of the day, they could just walk with him and just enjoy his presence, just be loved by him, to know intimacy with him to just encounter him in an ordinary stroll across the garden as they picked off fruit from all of the many trees in the garden. But Adam and Eve, and just like you and me, we're too busy or too distracted or too many other things that we wander away from God. But still, his desire is to meet with us. And so he wanted to meet with Moses at a bush. He wanted to meet with Moses at the tent of meeting. He said, you can come in and meet with me and I will just blow you away with how much love I show to you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. He said the same thing to Moses' successor, Joshua. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't you see? I want to meet with you. I want to meet with you. Throughout the wilderness wanderings, it was a cloud by day and it was a pillar of fire by night, a cloud to keep you cool and a fire to keep you warm. I want to meet with you. Don't you get it? And then he said, in a temple, in a temple, that's where I will meet with you. Because don't you see on ordinary days, I just want to meet with you. And then he sent his son. And it says, when Jesus came into this world, the language of John chapter 1 is that he tabernacled amongst us. What does that mean? He met with us. He lived amongst us. He met with his people. And so great was his desire that he said here, not just a place, okay, not just a place where you can meet with me, but listen, I want to nail open the doors so that whenever you want to come, whenever you want to come, all you need to do is just say the word and I'm here. And so he nailed open the doors to heaven when the hands of his son were pierced. He said, this is how open the doors of heaven will be. I'm always ready to meet with you. In Revelation 3.20, says, here I am. I'm always standing at the door waiting. I'm knocking. If anyone opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. 
And at the end of it all, Revelation 21, it says, in that day, in that day, we will be his people and he will be our God. And there we will meet with him forever and ever and ever. This is the great desire of the heart of God. He wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with me. Ordinary days, every day, ordinary ways, in any way. That's his desire for you and for me. I, um, my favorite baseball team is the Baltimore Orioles. One of my favorite players um, is, is a player named Adam Jones. And I entered into a contest where I could meet Adam Jones. It's super cool. All I need to do was text Adam to the Orioles account. And I got a message. Thank you for entering. We will let you know if you have won a date with Adam Jones. So I was really excited about this. Um, you know, I don't win a lot of things, but now and then I, I win these things and I get excited about it. And so I thought maybe I'm going to meet Adam Jones. And I thought to myself, man, this is a chance of a lifetime. I'm going to tell him that I think he's hilarious, that he's a great baseball player, that I want his jersey. I'm going to share the gospel with him. It's going to be great in this one extraordinary day of my life. Why do they have these contests? Because to have a day with Adam Jones is the chance of a lifetime for many people. Right? This is the stuff that some people on their deathbed, they can say, well, at least I had dinner with Adam Jones. Not me, but uh, it would still be cool. And so I entered into that contest. They said, we'll notify you by such and such a day. And such and such a day came, and I was not notified. And I did not win. But I thought it would have been great. It would have been cool. Why would it be so cool? Because I don't. He, he, because he's a celebrity, and I think he's so cool. But I think about the fact that for his children, his kids don't need to enter a contest. They don't need to text a number that they don't know. They don't need to try for this. All they need to do is just show up any day and every day. Their father wants to meet with them, and they can. Why? Just because he's their dad, and they're his children. Every day becomes an extraordinary day when we're his kids. And God says, you're my kids. Every day is a chance of a lifetime. But it's all been paid for. All you need to do is come. God wants to meet with us. Ordinary days. Will you let him? Let's pray. Many times I've given the excuse that I'm too busy for God. But at the end of the day, the issue is not a matter of my schedule. It's a matter of my priorities. We will always make time for the things that matter to us. We'll always make time for the things that are valuable. We'll always make time for the things that really matter. God wants to meet with you not just at retreats, not just at revivals, not just at conferences and not just on mission trips, not just on Sunday. God wants to meet with you every day, wherever you are, in the most ordinary of ways. He wants to meet with you right now, and he will. He is. As you hear the soft, still, small voice of love that says you are meant for so much more so much more 
than once a week. You can walk with me and you can talk with me every moment, every day, every minute of your life. Let's pray to the Lord God. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. I want to meet with you. I want to meet with you on ordinary days. I want to meet with you through the ordinary ways that you've given. I want to meet with you. So here's a commitment that I make. Let's make a decision, a certain commitment, to set an alarm at a certain time every day, twice a day, three times a day, just five minutes a day with God, two minutes a day with God, whatever it is. Let's make a commitment to say, God, I want to meet with you so that every day of my life can be the most powerful, life-changing moment of my life. Let's pray together for a couple moments. I'll pray for us, and then we'll continue to meet with the Lord through our uh, response in song and prayer and offerings. Let's pray together for a moment. Father in heaven, how much different would our relationship with you be if instead of five times a year, we met with you a hundred times a year? How much different would our relationship with you be if it wasn't just 52 Sundays a year, but 365 days out of the year? How much different could our relationship with you be? How much more of the promises of God could be received in our lives? How much deeper our joy? How much more overwhelming your love? How much more deep-seated our peace? Lord, how much are we missing out on? Because we're only looking to meet you in certain ways. Help us to know that you're the God of the ordinary and that you show up in very ordinary ways, turning the ordinary to extraordinary days. Help us to come to you excited, humbly, frequently so that we can encounter you more and more that we can grow to love you the way that you need and you desire and you deserve to be loved. We love you because you've loved us first and we will meet with you because you want to meet with us more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.